It's here, the first Ghostbusters interdimensional crossrip t-shirt, featuring front art by Dapper Dan Shonen. Wear your support for the podcast with pride. Proceeds from sales will go to keeping the lights on and not to putting beer in our stomachs. Men's and women's styles are available. Visit ghostbustershq.net slash shop to buy yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Well, hello, everybody. It's me, not Troy. Welcome to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. As we mentioned last week, we're heading into our December sort of break, which is to say we've saved up some goodies for the holidays while we take a break. And trust me, between my twisted ankle and Troy's late night schedule, we need it. But never fret, there's new stuff coming. In the meantime, I was recently at the Vancouver Fan Expo, kid brother to Canada Fan Expo, as opposed to Ontario Fan Expo, Toronto Fan Expo. Ontario. Anyhow, one of the guests of honor was one Mr. Maurice LaMarche, or as you'd know him, Dr. Egon Spangler, or at least the cartoon version thereof, which he's actually quite careful to point out the distinction. That man does not want to take anything away from Harold Ramis, and good on him for that. Now, between hanging out with the Ghostbusters of British Columbia, basically right across from Mr. LaMarche, I managed to drop over and ask, can I have 10 minutes, please? And that man, well, he went past 10 minutes. Uh, although we still didn't get to talk about everything. Um, there was way more I could have asked him about real Ghostbusters, and we didn't even touch on extreme Ghostbusters. However, we're working on getting to that. In the meantime, what I'd like to do is to present you with a present? Present you with a present? Yes. Present. Present you with a present of this interview with Mr. Maurice LaMarche, intercut with some sidebar sounds, shall we say. But before that, I'd like to kick off with a little bit of his original stand up, which was the path the man was on before he turned left and went into voice acting. And without further ado, away we go. That was corny. I should have just said, here we go. Shut up and listen. Oh, that felt much better. Merry Christmas. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Okay, let's start the show. All right, we have a guy here from Canada. Canada, oh, Canada's here. Good. Later on, I'll make you feel at home. I'll chop a tree. Anyway, right now, say hello to Maurice Lamarche. Okay, Maurice, here we go. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you. Well, that's great. I am an impressionist, and uh, people ask me, how did you get started doing impressions? I really had to watch a lot of television when I was a kid, and I cut my impressionist teeth on Saturday morning TV. <laughs> Natasha, we must get moose and squirrel. Yes, Boris, darling. Fluffer and fuckatash. Oh, my George, Quincy Magoo, you've done it again. Oh, Phineas J., whoopee, you the greatest. Come along, Chumley. Gee, Tennessee. <laughs> okay, Fred. Come on, Betty. Come on, Bam Bam. Baku, baku, puka. Gus, Yogi, I don't think the ranger's gonna like this. Oh, well, fuck the ranger, boo boo. I'm smarter than the average fan. As I grew up, I became a real Trekkie, and uh, do we have Trekkies here tonight? 
I just went out. I'm still a Trekkie. I went out and bought the uh, video cassette of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I think this was the best Star Trek movie yet. The problem I had with it was the guy they had playing the Klingon general in this film. Very fine actor. His name was Chris, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, but he also plays Jim Ignatowski on the TV series Taxi. And for the first half of the film, you don't even recognize him. He's talking Klingon with, uh, with English subtitles. Halfway through the film, he starts talking English to William Shatner. And all you can hear is Reverend Jim. <laughs> Uh, Admiral Kirk uh, You don't want to give me the Genesis device? Okie doke Listen, you've been great, and before I go, I would like to leave you with a quick thought. There is a saying, um, kind of started in show business, but applies to all walks of life, and that is, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I believe that's true, and I hope that when I'm on stage, I am flattering the celebrities I imitate. I know I'm certainly trying to do that. I thought about it the other day, and it occurred to me that uh, no celebrity has ever really flattered me back, and uh, yeah, it's kind of pissing me off, to tell you the truth. I think if I could have any fantasy I want to fulfill, that it'd be to have a group of my favorite stars pay tribute to me. Hi there. Remember me? I just want you all to know that Maurice Lamarche is a very close and personal friend of my brother Billy. Maurice makes me proud to say that I'm an American. That's because he's a Canadian. Is he a comic? Jesus, I forgot. I just thought he was doing great with you. I am... I am Arthur. Where the hell's my hat? I hate it when that happens. I race cars, I play tennis, I fondle women. But I have weekends off and I am my own boss. Hobson, do you want to run my bath for me? It's what I live for. Perhaps you'd like me to come in there and wash your dick for you, you little shit. He's worked his way up from the hinterlands of Canada into the heartland of America. And that's the way it is with Maurice LaMarche. He's a very nice young man, Washie. Well, Nancy and I just want to say we're proud to know this fine young man and well, frankly, we wish our daughter Patty had, had married him instead of some flaky yoga instructor. <laughs> Maurice asked me to tell you that if you've enjoyed meeting him half as much as, as he's enjoyed meeting you, well, then he enjoyed it twice as much as you did. <laughs> Meet Maurice Lamarche, an impressionist who's lost control of both his vocal cords and his mind. You don't know it yet, but you've just passed through Maurice LaMarche's own personal Twilight Zone. Thank you very much. You've been great. Good night, ladies and
And now, performing another classical work, the great Wackerotti. some of the uh, sound effects, specifically the belches for Wacko. Oh, I was, I'm uh, so glad you I am that. too, man. <laughs> I am I too. Now wait, he's going to have plenty of time. <laughs> this man, if we could hear an me. example of that. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, well, you'll hear an example of that. <laughs> you might as well get, just get yourself That's relaxed. Trust me. See, at least here you guys are on a fault line. Not Dude. Right when he starts doing that shit. <laughs> it's all. He, we were kind of, I remember the producers were kind of looking for something. And how, I don't know how it came about, but it was so clear that Maurice did this otherworldly sound <laughs> that ultimately oh. it was was pitch shifted and, and oh. all that and, and was used in the great rock wakarati well so over and you over. have such a unique gift that is able to be musicalized <laughs> it's now i'm gonna add my two cents so here you know I, i'm playing wacko right and they, they give me this script and it says oh wacko comes out and goes ladies and gentlemen i would like to sing you know jingle bells and then it's like belches jingle bells right and i'm, and I'm literally thinking well i can do a lot of stuff you know with, with my voice but I really can't belch on command. I know a lot of frat guys can, but I can't. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh, what if they don't like me? They're gonna get mad at me, and now, you know, and I'm sitting at home trying to drink a lot of soda, and I'm like, getting tiny little, and it's like, oh man, they're gonna fire me, right? So I go into the session, I don't know if you know this, if Mo knows this, I went into the session, and I said, gosh, Andrea, our director, I said, I'm, I feel so bad, and I didn't sleep or anything, because I don't want to make anybody mad, but I don't think I can belch jingle bells. And she goes, oh, don't worry, we got, we have it covered. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, there's this guy, you see? And now at this point, Mo, why don't you join Chime in? What they did. 
I, 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 since I'm a little kid, um, I used to hold up uh, plastic puke. Remember plastic puke, rubber puke? Yeah. I used to fold it up in fifth grade and palm it, and I, and I go, teacher, I'm not feeling very, very well. And then I go like this, and I drop it, and I go. in the industry. They put that under trademarks. <laughs> they also say stunt burper, which I like. Uh, voted by your high school to be most likely to be someone else, which is exactly <laughs> what happened. Uh, you are the official voice of Popeye? Well, I was, at, the, at the time, I guess, that that entry was made, I was the You're last still there? official voice. An Billy West superseded me, though. Oh, there we the go. fourth official voice of Popeye. An unofficial python, which I did not know. Yes. Uh... Uh, you are the voice of a number of different products. You are the voice of a young Orson Welles, old Orson Welles, and mouse <laughs> Orson Welles. And I'm here because uh, I could go on forever with the list, but uh, I'm here with Maurice LaMarche, the voice of Egon Spengler. The voice of, uh, of Dr. Egon Spengler from Real <laughs> Ghostbusters. Let's qualify that. Let's qualify I that. I stand on the shoulders of Harold Ramis. <laughs> Quite literally. Yes. And I'll open this bit by, uh, we mentioned it in one of our podcasts, and I'll recommend people again. Uh, YouTube, it's pretty easy to find. Kevin Pollack. You sat down with Kevin Pollack. I did. And that was an excellent one. Uh, you touched on Ghostbusters, but you touched on pretty much everything else in your life, too. So I won't 
I'll try not to retread most of that. I would recommend people go find that because that was yeah. a really great interview. And actually, I didn't sit down with Kevin. I sat down with Sam. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You because, and Sam talked. Yeah. Sam was Sam, Kevin was out of town, but he, but he tweeted in. He was watching. That's live, right. But he tweeted in. That's I, that's why because I'm sitting there trying gig. to remember. I was like, yeah. why was there not some sort of voice off? Yeah. And now I remember. You're right, right. It was Sam that was talking. Sam I'll start at the beginning. You are, and I think this is fairly well known, a Canadian boy. Born and raised. Born and raised. There was a great transition period going by the Internet Movie Database because you got your start high school age as, and this is what I love, it'll mean nothing to American listeners, but young man on street, on uh, Side Street. CBC Sunday, the moneylender on Side Street. Don't intimidate kids. I'm liable to many cops up in me. I'm sure. What happens when we follow it up? Everyone watching you hustle a lot of that cafe is going to know that Bernie's our boy. If you think... Lisa, listen to me. The professor, he beats up guys who don't pay. But not girls. With girls, he makes arrangements, you know? Side Street, tonight at 9. Yes. Canada's attempt to do an American-style cop show, which I love. But yet not, because I think the it was about a community center, a pair of community center cops, and uh, I don't think they drew their guns, but maybe once in the entire Oops. series. There's a clip on YouTube, uh, Donnelly, and I always forget his last Donald name. Ro Don Don Donnelly Rhodes. Right. And they had a bit where the one guy's like, something... Blah, 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 but there's a bomber out there, and he's like, but I can't. I have this paperwork to finish. And I was like, this is a Canadian show. Exactly. <laughs> Donnelly uh, uh, claimed claim to fame being that he was the guy who challenged the Sundance kid. Ah. At the beginning, in the, in the poker game, he tells him that he's, that he's uh, uh, cheating. Right. That's Donnelly Rhodes. That's Canadian right. Canadian Donnelly Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, and you, uh, I guess this was the kind of your first dip in the toe into the entertainment world officially? Or is it just yeah, one of those... I, I actually got booked on that because I was, my theater arts teacher uh, was friends with the casting director at the CBC. Uh -huh. So, you know, she called up and said, you got any students? I need a student. I had a high school student, good-looking kid. And she said, yeah, I got just the guy, so... Uh, big break. And it was opposite Kim Cattrall. That was the amazing thing. Was it? Yeah. Oh, see, this is the thing. Kim I Cattrall had lines, but uh -huh. I, was, I was just boy across the street who whistles for her and she comes across the street and meets me. Oh, wow. Uh, chronologically, in Internet Movie Database, you then, I guess it was still CBC, you uh, contributed slightly to the nightmares of my childhood. Uh, not your fault necessarily, it was the art more than anything on uh, Easter Fever. Jack, you know what you can do now to make ends meet? Wrench, wrench your front teeth out as a billboard. <laughs> I'm going to finish you off, Lady Jack, because right now I want to bring up the one and only Santa Claus. Yes. And it was the, the Don Rickles uh, alike, anthropomorphic snake, Don Rattles. Don Rattles. And uh, Steed Martin. And Steed Martin. And Peter Easterbad. That one people can find on YouTube. I yep. would, I would say true. go it's find that. It's true. It's up there now. And that's the very first, very, very first animation I ever did. So I, that was when I experienced the, the magical feeling that only a cartoon voice artist can have of hearing your voice come out of a pair of animated lips <laughs> and that's like I've never seen that I, when I saw it I thought wow this is how Mel Blanc felt yeah. when he saw himself on screen the first time this is how Alan Reed felt when he first saw the first episode of the Flintstones and now I'm having that feeling yeah it was amazing so this was um kind of a nice overlap then like I said I, I, I call it a gray area because you did kind of 
gray area transition from Canada into like New York and then headed west. Yeah. But you kind of back and yeah, forth my, for a my while. My time in New York was, uh, was basically two weekends. Unfortunately, uh, okay. I wish I'd stayed there a little longer. Uh, but I popped down to do the improv uh, twice. And one time in Philadelphia. Actually, the very first time I got up in a nightclub uh, was in Philadelphia at a place called uh, Grandma Minnie's. Right. And that was the first time I'd ever been on a professional comedy stage. Yeah. Right. And uh, I was 19. 19 at the time. Yeah, you no started idea early. I was doing there's something about a lot of comedians. Comedians start young. I don't know why. Mm. It's very hard to find a comedian that didn't start, you yeah. know, no, past Jim, 25. Jim started at 15. Carrie started at 15. I was there his first night. Oh, wow. I'm, I was, the, guy, I'm the guy who ran after him, him and his dad, and said, come on back. Don't, don't, don't be going. discouraged. Just, you know. Nice. No, nobody has a fantastic first night. I mean, he had some good things, but he overall, I could tell that he didn't feel like he, you know. Right. Busted to join up. I thought he was great. And so I, I ran after him. And I'm sure Mark Breslin said something to him, too, to encourage yeah. him. But I remember going out and seeing him. And they ran arm in arm. He and his dad, or Mr. Carey, was so great. He <laughs> really, really encouraged him. Was there for every show. And uh, and uh, seeing them together, and I just I just had to run up and say, come on back. You know, nice. You're going you right. to be great. And, you you know, and Breslin some, were right. Apparently, he, he did. And... And did okay. Yeah. That kid, I, that fifteen-year-old kid. I mean, the balls to fifteen I, years old do stand up I, in I a heard, club. Amazing. I don't know that he did well because I think all he does is paint now. So that's kind of sad. Jim Carrey didn't go anywhere. He just paints now. Yeah. No. Jim is doing. I mean, that's the thing about Jim. He's always been actually very brave, and um, he was brave enough to throw away the impressions when I was standing there going, "What's he doing? What's he?" St-? You know, what, do the impressions, and he was like doing weird improv with a ladder on the stage, and yeah, and he just, but it was it was a fearlessness that I at that time didn't quite comprehend, and you know, look where it led. Yeah. And this painting, this not, art that he's doing now is the same is another version of that. Not to diminish you or turn this into the Jim Carrey podcast either, but it's doubly impressive because for all the guys like you who do spot on impressions. He had good impression, and then he'd do that thing with his face on oh, he some was of amazing. them. <laughs> Facially, I've only got a couple of things where I do, or I can do the face. Yeah. Where you go, what the heck? Like my Peter Falk, I'm kind of proud there's, of that. There's it does a, look like Peter Falk. There is a physicality yeah. I find that yeah. people talk about when doing voices, but his. Uh, yeah, he I, was rubber face. I mean, first time he did Bruce Dern. I mean, yeah. he looked like a, like Don Martin's version of Bruce Dern. You know, a little bit stretched out, like you know the line that, that goes for the. From the nose to you to the mouth, it looks yeah. about three feet long. But <laughs> it's amazing. I'm going to use this as a, an excuse segue too to ask about um, all night, the all night show, the all night show. Yes, right. And Jim Carrey is listed in that as well. But and I don't care about him on the show. I wanted to find out because you're listed as Lips by Maurice, but I don't know what that means. I Lips found by Maurice was something that I, a technique that Conan eventually went on to use on, on uh, when he was doing uh, uh, late night. But I think we kind of pioneered it. What we do is we take a cutout, like we take a picture, uh, a still picture of like Peter Falk, and then they throw the key out the lips, and then I'd get in a chair, and sometimes I'd have to contort a little bit to just match them perfectly. I'd watch on the monitor, right, and I'd have to keep my face stock still while doing the voice but the effect was kind of amazing yeah because the voice was good and you had the exact picture of the guy and I'd even try to alter my my lips 
to make them thinner or thicker. Look or look a little bit more yeah, like it. And, and uh, it was fun. It was great. So I, there were these little blackouts on the all-night show. See, what I was impressed by is I wasn't aware of the all-night show, but I'm, I have a personal fascination with the local television horror hosts and movie hosts that yep. America had. Right. Canada never really got that. Then to find out that in Ontario there was this... Yep. It wasn't horror movie specific. And there was no... But there was this hosted late night thing. Yeah, and there was no 24-hour television in those days. This was the first 24-hour television yeah. where they they, mocked, they did a mock-up of the, the, the station closing down for the night, the test pattern, the national anthem, a couple of seconds of dark, and then, <laughs> boom, back up. Until and six in Chaz, the morning or something. And there's Chaz Lawther yeah. as Chuck, the security guard. That's amazing. And he's just, he's got the tapes, and he's playing old Dick Van Dyke shows. And I really believe that, you know, Nickelodeon, somebody, you know, somebody from those, from, from the early days of Nickelodeon came up and saw that, like, that needs to be a channel. Yeah, you know? well, they were working a lot with uh, the gentleman on Hilarious House of Frankenstein. And you can't do that on television. So yeah, you might be right. Somebody may have caught it on a trip. May, I, I think there might be the, that might hotel be the, room with the, the inspiration up. for it. <laughs> and that was the brainchild of Jeff Silverman. So, uh, uh, and who was one of the great Canadian entrepreneurs. He he had the um, uh, the the original ride dance at Roxy. Right. You know, it's the first rep theater where you can see any movie for under a dollar, and uh, wow. he was he was an amazing guy. He still is. He still he still goes. I strong. have to keep digging and see if I can find any of your stuff. What I found was the hosted bits and an end credit sign off. I think for the the last one they did in '81. And there's two other Lamarches listed too. Yes, my cousin Robert. Ah, all right. And and, and, and his wife Claire. Claire, Claire right. Lamarche. Yes. All right. They were integral to that show. Because I'm sitting there going, this is Canada. There can't be... Nope. That's my cousin. That's there my can't be unrelated Lamarches around. My dad's brother's... <laughs> uh, my dad's brother Rolly's son, uh, Bob. Ah, perfect. All right. Um, I, will, I will jump the hundreds of listings you have then. Because I'm, I'm not kidding. You, If you count it up, and I stopped at about 100 because I just could not do it. You've got thousands of voices credited on Internet Movie Database. This is... Is it thousands, really? It's at least, I'm pretty sure it's broken at least 1,000, which wow. is... So, man, official man of 1,000 voices. <laughs> I must be good. I had no idea it was 1,000. I mean, you know, there's, I, I have to say, I, I try not to ever re completely repeat a voice, but I'll fine-tune and, and somewhat regurgitate a voice Maybe and reuse it. Um, but I was trying to add a little something that wasn't the last time I used it. Even, I mean, I have a running gag on the, on the Futurama commentaries that Lure, Morbo, and Horrible Gelatinous Blob yeah. are not the same voice. The truth of the matter is I use this, a similar vocal tension for all of them, but I do a little something different. So, yeah. Lure, ruler of the planet Omicron Percy I-8 is this. Morbo is more stentorian because he's on television reading the news. And then Horrible Gelatinous Blob just has a bigger sound throat. <laughs> I just I feel like I've got jello in my mouth. Get when the jaws in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, this leads me to something that I always loved, and it's only something I realized as an adult going back and rewatching the real Ghostbusters is, and I believe it's come up. You guys talk a lot about. They're like, we have this character. Do a voice. And you're like, well, what do you want? And they're like, whatever you want. So you guys tap into your library of impressions and then tweak from there. But what I liked on the real Ghostbusters is that when you guys went off to do additional voices, that showed up quite a bit. And I, I it, there is a listing. It calls you in real Ghostbusters. It says janitor. So it's the one with the Valkyries at the opera, and 
it's my favorite line from the entire thing. It's this one janitor that they keep slapsticking running into it. You're going to make a mess, aren't you? Is that your janitor, or should I go looking for another janitor? I honestly don't remember. No. <laughs> no, I'm mysteries not, are no good. I'm so sorry. That's all right. So I'm in Canada, so I say sorry instead of sorry. That's something I found out later is one of those golden age comedians in Hollywood, and I'm like... Oh, that sounds like... Oh, it was uh, that... that, that, that uh, uh, I always uh, want to say Burt Lahr, but that's no, no, not no, right. No, 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 it's, it's Ed Wynn, you know. Ed Wynn. That's right. Well, I played, I used the Ed Wynn voice for, um, for the, the, there was a very touching episode about a ghost who only wanted to say goodbye to his niece. Uh, and that's the voice I used the Ed Wynn oh, voice. So I might, I might, I might have used maybe. it first for that janitor. I screwed that's up. that's what I pulled out. I screwed up the opening, too, because I just realized that if we count your uh, uh, hearse uh, analog in the one episode, because you do... You do the ghost of Citizen Kane-esque character, right. which would have been a fourth, <laughs> a fourth Orson Welles type. <laughs> oh, I did my research badly. Um, now, no, I, no. You know what? And that that voice, I really hadn't, I really didn't have the Welles voice down yet. Really? For that one, no, I didn't really pick up the Orson Welles thing till, you know, I guess about. Um, Oh, maybe so. Maybe so. It might have dovetailed on or, it. Or but I really there. hadn't nailed it until I was like in the, so this is proto in the late 80s. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Um, like the, you, it, it was touched on, we'll touch on it quickly again here, that you were invited in to audition for Egon. And again, it's one of those things where they said, don't do the actor. And you're like, well, I do impressions of actors. Did it anyways, and they went perfect. Yeah, and signed off on it. I, I, yeah, they 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 were they didn't just say it to me; they said it to the entire waiting room. Mm. It was like, no, whatever you do, don't go in there and do impressions. I was like, oh my god, that's all I do is impressions. I don't have any other ideas. What, what? And I looked at the, the drawing that they had of Egon, and I out in the waiting room, I was trying to do a, like a, maybe a point extra voice or some guy. I mean, it's just not going to work. I don't know. It just it's like he's, he stands too tall. He's, he's, he's the embodiment of confidence. I, 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 the only thing I can hear in my head is, is Harold Ramis. Right. You know? So I got in there, and I was like, I'm looking at the copy, and I, I tried to make something else come out, and what came out was the, the Harold voice. Right. And Michael Gross said, that's pretty good. Do that again. And I read it again. He said, uh, "All right, do you have any other ideas?" And I said, "I'm sorry, I don't. I'm, I just, I just feel like Egon is Harold." And he said, "No, it's okay. It's okay. Thanks a lot." And then, like the next week, I got the call. You booked right. real Ghostbusters. And when I got back in there, Michael Grove said, "I know he said no impressions, but you get to do impressions. You get to do an impression." Harold liked your voice. He liked the way you did it. Nice. So How hands-on was Mr. Gross throughout production? Michael was there for everything. Everything, eh? Michael and Joe Magic were there for every session. I got and it. Joe I... Susinski is my J. Michael Susinski, who we call Joe. Joe, yeah. He is. He's. He's. Uh, he was there for everything as well. I only met Joe briefly when he was working up here, but I got to have a nice long phone conversation with Mr. Gross. Yeah. He was a. He was a, a Renaissance. Truly was. <laughs> Truly was. Um, Miss him some production stuff then this is where the nerdery comes in so were you doing them in batches episodes like was it a couple of days for one episode and then go away and then come back and then a couple of days on another episode or sometimes we do like an episode in the morning and an episode in the afternoon so it's pretty quick but yeah it usually takes about four hours to knock out 
not half an, an hour episode. episode yeah. yeah. Okay. Retakes, and then we do a read-through rehearsal, and then you know, and even that's gone away for a lot of a lot of shows. The, the, the rehearsal is we just rehearse on mic, and if we don't, you know, if the director doesn't like right. it, we go back. Yeah. So you have to be a good sight reader in, in animation. I bet. Um, but um, in those days, they allowed eight hours for an episode. Um, but with that said, we could sometimes get two in. A couple in there. Yeah. Right. But we we definitely do a couple times a week. Right. Because we had a 65-episode syndication order to get ready and a 13-episode network order to get ready. Right. So uh, we, we really had to uh, get in there and crank. And I'm amazed the quality of the script stayed as good as they were. Yeah. Based on that. Because heavy production. We had some of the best writers. Yeah. In uh, you know in, in, in television animation writing for us yeah. that must have been, meant then you guys went through most of the series in a matter of just a couple of condensed months or something. Well, no, I think we worked at it about a year. Okay. Yeah. Over, okay. So there was yeah. a bit of space. But there was some doubling up, and like I said, we had seventy-eight the, episodes to get ready. Some of those early ones, uh, Straczynski's and a couple others people. The one that always sticks with me is the Ghostbusters go to Paris, and it's basically skeleton zombies attacking people on the Eiffel Tower at any time when because you can't see the end result but you're reading the script at any time you're kind of like is this cool for kids is this <laughs> well I didn't get to see I didn't get to see a lot of it you're right um, I knew we were making scary uh, scary sounds yeah. but I had no idea how frightening the visuals would be until a year later when the show came on was and that I, part of the direction where they're kind of like this show is going to have that the direction, it's not I'll tell you, it's the, gonna be yeah, a scarier the direction edge. on the show, um, the through line was any one of these episodes will have to would, could be used as a jumping out point for Ghostbusters Two, right. which was yet to be made or even discussed. But they wanted it to be sequel worthy. Ah, so they demanded that level of quality from each script, from each concept. So that goes a long way to explaining that after the second movie came out, which was kind of softened in the kid direction anyway because of the cartoon, the cartoon then, in response, got a little bit more kid-friendly as well. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. See, it's, this is why I wanted to talk to you. There you go. Um, what was the last point I had to, to make here? Sorry, my brain went off into uh, we'll, animation we'll cut, recording. We'll cut that bit out. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Uh, you in the episode where the the actual movie Ghostbusters uh, are yes. on screen, you got to, you had to fill in Bill Murray. I had to. We hadn't found Dave Coulier yet, and uh, and and you know when I say found Dave Coulier, I I love Dave and I love Lorenzo. And I felt very torn when yeah. that when that happened, and uh, you know. The, the tragedy of it was it came as a result of an offhand remark. Yeah. You know, Bill, Bill Murray uh, simply made it, I think he said something at a party to Michael Gross. He says, hey, how come Harold's guy sounds like him? My guy doesn't sound like me. And, th- and that was it. They flew into action. They thought he was upset, and he wasn't. Right. And, you know, and Lorenzo was off, and Coulier was on. And, and I'd known Coulier for years from stand-up comedy and loved him. And, uh, and loved Loved low, you know. So nice. I mean, that's what that's what you called them when you knew them. Well, you called them low, and um, so yeah, you know, it's very strange. But anyway, we didn't know about it. We didn't know about Dave yet, um, and um, they just said, you know, try it, try to do it because it's got to it's got to match the first line of the movie. Right. So 
I don't think I pulled it off particularly well. Ah. I think I did. I think I did Bill Svenkman better for the the, the uh, attraction at Universal Studios. Right. Because I played both Egon and Venkman oh. in that. Nice. Yeah, and okay. I think I actually pulled off Bill's voice a little better in that one. I'll see now. I got to. I got to put them side by side now. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, good luck finding the recording because I can't. I can't find a recording of it anywhere. But um, anyway, yeah, that was. Uh, I felt a little pressure there. A little yeah. pressure to perform. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I have eaten up more time than I, I think I should have been allowed to. I want to thank you no, very my much. My pleasure. Thank you. And if we can ever work it out, like I said, the co-host is down in L.A. I think maybe we'll come back and try to... Uh, round two where we can talk extreme Ghostbusters, because that's right. the one thing that we didn't get good. into. Another All right. era, another time in my life. It's a great thing to do. Mr. Maurice Lamarche, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. I'm going to turn over the next card, and I want you to tell me what it is. You know, he doesn't look a thing like me. Fuji Videotape presents Quality Control. The people at Fuji put their videotape through a lot. They forward and reverse it hundreds of times. Me, 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 me. They subject it to extremes of hot and cold. Finally, the stress test. Captain, I'm, I'm giving it full power and she's still holding together. It's a demanding job. But Fuji wants your tape to last, no matter what you put it through. Fuji videotape. Put the good stuff on the good stuff. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our call-in line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You too. And Twitter accounts. Print is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just wanna get back close again. Wait, that's terrible. I quit. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Hey, it's not Troy again. That's Mr. Not Troy to you. Yes, I know. As like I said at the beginning, there was so much more we could have gotten into, and uh, he was happy to talk about it. But what you couldn't hear in the tape is that there was a gentleman from the expo in the background, frantically, yet politely, is Canada, making hand gestures at me to try to wrap it up as Mr. LaMarche needed to get to a panel with his pal Rob Paulson to presumably do Pinky and the Brain, uh, well, just do Pinky and the Brain, doing anything really, right? Worth it. Uh, which is coincidentally how I first met Mr. LaMarche uh, at Comic-Con, I want to say 2003? Yes, it's a very long time ago. In which he also sat on a panel and did a bunch of his voices with Mr. Paulson and other pals. Uh, it was kind of the first year that he went out to cons and something he didn't do before. And here we are talking to him years later. Hopefully we'll get to talk to him again soon. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed our little visit with him. But in the meantime, signing off. See you next week from the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Cross Rip. All right, everybody. Happy holidays. Who you gonna call? We got Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Cross Rip. 
Visit us at protoncharging.com, ghostbustershq.net, and stillplayingwithtoys.net. You could be one of my two favorite shows. You're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Everything you're doing is bad. You truly scare me. I want you to love it. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird.